Hey everybody, Chris Fafalius here. If you enjoy One Hit Thunder, which I'm assuming you do considering you're listening to it right now, I want to tell you about another great music podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. It's called Riffs on Riffs. On this season of Riffs on Riffs, hosts Toby Braswell and Joe Watson are breaking down one iconic pop song each week. Everything from Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer to Journey's Don't Stop Believin' to Naughty by Nature's OPP. Each week, they crack open the song, trace its history, decode those cryptic lyrics, and unearth the hidden gems in its musical DNA. Not only do they dive into the song's history, lyrics, and impact, they also go down some fun and oftentimes hilarious rabbit holes. So yeah, if you're a fan of One Hit Thunder, I think you'll also enjoy Riffs on Riffs. So go hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. I'm Chris Fafalius, and I'm the producer of Chris Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience, and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting, and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can check out our website at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. This week, we discussed the song that forced radio DJs to have to say the word butthole on the radio for an entire summer. The Butthole Surfers, who by all accounts were the world's least marketable band, managed to cross over to the radio thanks to their bizarre song, Pepper. Our guest this week is Zayo and Pack guitarist Scott Mellinger, who breaks down why he loves this band and how they not only influenced him, but the entire 90s grunge movement. One hit is all you need To make the money guaranteed And you can live off royalties Forever And it makes me wonder Is it just a wonder Or is it one hit thunder I think it's really cool that for this time in whatever year that was, this came out that radio DJs all over the world had to say butthole on, on radio stations. <laughs> I got to give the butthole surfers credit for that. Except uh, for that, the radio stations where they had to say the BH surfers. Yeah. Well, they're seriously, yeah. I don't remember them ever. Because do- this song crossed over into like top 40 radio, yeah, top had 40 to radio BH. DJs would not say butthole. They said BH surfers. <laughs> wow. That is incredible. You can even find, uh, I, when I was doing some research, I found like, a news story where they're being interviewed and the name of the band comes up and it's B four stars, H four stars surfers. Wow, (laughs) man. I didn't know they had to do that. I didn't think 
Butthole is a strange word because it's not a swear word, but it's very graphic. Yeah, it brings up a very clear image <laughs> yeah. in your mind. Yeah, it's not just the butt. It's actually <laughs> the hole. I gotta assume that was Butthole Surfer's whole intention when they named their band. Scott, you're the resident Butthole Surfer's expert here because I had maybe heard of them because of Beavis and Butthead before Pepper, but I wasn't real familiar with this band, but you actually were a fan. Yeah. Well, I loved independent warm saloon. I loved that record. I'm trying to remember like back then what, what I liked so much about it, but it was definitely like, I remember hearing Gibby Haynes on a ministry song. Okay. Right? Right. Jesus built my yes. hot rod. Yeah. And so that kind of just intrigued me with how this guy was. And then you kind of find out this dude, like he went to college for like something crazy. Like he was trying to get an MBA in something mm-hmm. and him and his friend, and I'm terrible at Leary. Paul like, Leary. Yeah. Paul Leary. Both of those dudes were like in college for legit things. And then they lived in this like whole, like punk aesthetic, weird, like Texas world. Right. So learning that that guy went from that to like, just pure insanity. Cause yeah. like some of the earlier butthole surfers records, I don't really get into too much. Cause it's more just like avant-garde weirdness. Yes. yes. Avant-garde is the, best term I could use for this band because, you know, digging into their catalog in preparation for this, I'm like, I've always been aware of Butthole Surfers like since I was a kid just because I liked alternative music. I watched 120 minutes. I watched, you know, I brought up Beavis and Butthead, but like, honestly, Beavis and Butthead opened, yes, yes, exposed me to so much music. I got to give Beavis, and I still think Beavis and Butthead is funny and I got to give them credit for like the music part is so many, ween, Ween is one of my favorite bands Love ever. Him. Love and, them. And I found out about Ween because of Beavis and Butthead. Yep. I've liked Ween since seventh grade. <laughs> and that being said, I would have thought that Butthole Surfers would have been, I think they are kind of in that world. They're kind of psychedelic, trippy, but heavy sometimes and just avant-garde and strange. But for some reason, when I'm listening to this, maybe I had to be there. Maybe I had to be into them at the time. It's, it, it's kind of hard for me to get it. Minus that... One song, which is Matt, we were just talking about it. Did you sleep in my bed last or, night? Oh, that, that song. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, that record. Like I said, I I think what it is is it's super heavy, but it's like even the second song on that record, uh, the wooden. What the heck's the thing? I'm so terrible with names. I'm pulling it up. Thank you. <laughs> it's the set. It's and it's it's kind of like just a ballad. It's all like an mm-hmm. acoustic song, and I loved. Weirdly, I think that's kind of where the beginnings of my idea of dynamic was because you had this first song that would just kicked your ass and mm-hmm. then it went into this weird kind of yeah the wooden song yeah like it just comes in and it's more of like a sort of ballady like folky song right. and I love that whole like juxtaposition of that and I think that's really kind of where like the idea of doing that in everything I write sort of happened right because i don't think a lot of bands outside of nirvana then doing that i was gonna really say well so on my drive up here i listened to in utero yeah and after doing all this research for this like kurt cobain this is like one of kurt cobain's favorite bands he's had multiple of their albums in his journals as like best albums of all time and that in utero album is a polished butthole surfers record like radio friendly unit shifter yep. is such a butthole surfers song like it's just noisy it's nonsensical very ape is kind of milk it is like 110 yep. percent like the butthole surfers and they kind of got credit as like the guys who create truly created the sound of grunge creating that idea of like slow droney stuff that 
at the drop of a hat's just going to turn into like the most noisy, chaotic, mm-hmm. screaming insanity right back into like slow droney nonsense. Right. And and Scott, you can speak to chaotic. Oh yeah. Your ba- your band is very chaotic. That's and, it, yeah. and that appeals to me too. I I get that and I I respect butthole surfers for definitely don't sound like anybody else. No. And that's something I love about music yeah. is there's so many bands that are a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, you know. And I always whether it's something I want to listen to or not, that's why I can love ween or you know these i just love the music that doesn't sound like anyone else these guys definitely fit into that category and definitely emerged from this what you know when we're talking about the song pepper this texas punk rock scene that i know nothing about yeah it's it it is really kind of not known like you think austin obviously Mm -hmm. but there were so many bands that come from texas that i don't even realize they came from that world and like what that world was but then you think about it that whole like climate yeah like a lot of the bands i listen to like even on like the sludge side of heavier music like they come from louisiana so that like hot weird kind of climate might help with this kind of weird avant-garde weird heavy bands thing i don't know but right everybody had their crazy locals <laughs> their crazy local bands which we'll get into that with this song because this song pepper which the butthole surfers do not like this song. Yes. We'll get to that too. But th- the subject matter of this song is pretty cool. All the names, I think there's 10 different people referenced. Some of them by name, some of them by like the football player rapist or whatever. Not not a specific whatever, but these are all real people yeah. that, are, that are referenced in this song. And they sound like they're people from their scene of music <laughs> and are you know people that were around there's one in particular that i want to talk about but i think the song is as far as the butthole surfers songs go they don't like it but it's the one i like the most <laughs> you know i think it's 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 interesting i know you're not a fan <laughs> to me and i was going to say this earlier but it really feels like and i had to do a little bit of research myself it sounds so much like Beck. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, and it was a parody of Beck. Yeah. They were doing a parody of where it's at. Yeah. They were like, let's make fun of this like monotone rapping yep. mm-hmm. with like a catchy chorus yep. type thing. And it worked. And yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't, they probably didn't want it to be a hit and it ends up being a hit. I don't but. know if they necessarily, from what I understood from the research I did, it wasn't so much that they hated the song, but they hated what it meant to have a hit. Because uh, like, I see what you mean. Because like before they were like this radio friendly band, no one told them what to do. And like they said, like they don't, they really don't like the album that came out after Electric Larry Land, which took them like six years to put out anyway. And it ended up being the last thing they ever released because they said like that album was written by committee. They had all these A&R guys telling them what they should sound like and how to write a single. And it was like. We wrote a single as a flute. Like you don't name yourself the Butthole Surfers and you want to have a song on the radio. Yeah. Like it's yeah. like not what the you song do. was supposedly, I don't know if you guys know this, released the week of Gibby's 20 year high school reunion. And it was, you know, about all these people that were from his world at the time. And the song did hit number one on the modern rock chart. I mean, yeah. it is it is a hit. Yeah. And it became the top ranked song of 1996's modern rock charts. It peaked at number 29 on the Hot 100. So, yeah, pretty pretty legit hit. Pretty memorable. Doesn't Okay. I never really thought about the Beck comparison, and if anything, just it with that sort of looped yeah, feeling to it. I would have thought "Loser" was the song, but you're saying like "Where It's At." Loser, that was probably I, "Loser" actually, because "Where It's At" I think okay. would have been the following year. Okay, yeah, "Loser" is what I always think about when yeah. I when I heard that song. I think about Beck "Loser," and the bummer is I actually do like 
some of Beck's stuff. So it's yeah. not like I, I wouldn't hate Actually, that. yeah, this is definitely because it even does the both loser and pepper. The bridge is just reversing a guitar solo with the chorus over top of it. So it just sounds like nonsense gibberish. Yeah. Right. And it's the spoken word. Uh, verses which is cool that was done in the 90s that that was a a thing and it it doesn't sound like a lot of other things to me the the song (laughs) despite being called pepper never mentions the word pepper no uh the only speculation i saw as to why it might be named pepper was maybe that it was a tex-mex cuisine reference since they're doing it in texas seems like a stretch to me. (laughs) but could be because yeah like you said, there's, it's never mentioned. It's never really even, it's not even a name. Yeah. <laughs> this turned out to be completely false and made up. But I remember when this song came out, my next door neighbor tried to explain to me that a pepper interview is when the police sit down and interview someone that they've apprehended. And that this is a pepper interview of the guy just throwing all these people under the bus after being arrested. And I'm like, I've mm. never ever heard that be referred to as a pepper interview <laughs> that sounds like a stretchy that that sounds like scott that that reminds me of like in pack like if josh sends a guitar idea and it's just called or, or justin sends something and it's just called like pumpkin <laughs> or something that's a and we're like okay we're just gonna call it that forever even though you know it doesn't make any sense that is probably more what this yes. song actually wow. is i think so but something that i thought was pretty crazy and interesting you know so like I said, this is supposedly all the people in this song are real people. The one person that I found out a lot about is there is a Bobby mentioned in the song. Okay. Let me see what the lyric is. Oh, Mikey had a facial scar and Bobby was a racist. So Bobby is based on Bobby Socks, who's from a band called Stick Men with Ray Guns. They were from Dallas. Okay. And Bobby had created a comic of the same name, I guess with stick figures, about a racist character who walked the streets blasting anyone with a ray gun who he thought was defiling his race. So anyway, this Bobby sounds like a real like Gigi Allen type guy. Okay. Because he was... So the name of his band was also Stick Men with Ray Guns. And he was notorious for starting fights urinating on other bands during their set and inserting the mic into his anus before leaving the stage. There you go. And he spent time in in prison and mental hospitals and he died of liver failure from alcoholism in 2000. Holy shit. That was the Bobby was a racist. Whether he was a racist or the character from his comic book was just racist, I don't know. Uh, It sounds like... Like I said, like a Gigi Allen. Yeah, that's dude. what, yeah. Like the local Gigi <laughs> Allen. Like I did read that this Bobby Sox, th- this band, Thurston Moore at some point covered a song by this band, which leads me to believe that maybe the guy wasn't actually racist. I hope not. <laughs> wasn't actually like a, a racist, like skinhead punk or something. Maybe it was like ironic or something like that. I would, um, I bet that's probably what more right. makes more sense. Um, I, I tried researching the rest of the people mentioned in the song. Uh, all I got was that like, these were real people that he was mentioning that basically like if we, if you and I were to make a song about people we knew from like the punk and metal scene that everyone kind of knew who they were in Pittsburgh or something, you know, that was the concept behind the song, which is, I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Giving people infamy. Right. Yeah. I I, I like that concept for the song. As far as, you know, Gibby, 
himself, some stuff I, I thought was pretty crazy was like Matt brought up the butthole surfers being a Nirvana influence is that Gibby ended up spending several stints in rehab with Kurt. Yeah. And so they got to know each other. I, I, <laughs> this is getting off on a tangent a little bit, but Gibby had a speedball habit. You know what speedballs mm-hmm. are? Yeah. I didn't. I had to I had to learn. I don't know how you I don't know how you yeah. do that. That's what killed Farley. Yeah. And Belushi. Yeah, I saw Belushi in here. But I, I always I assumed it was meth or something, but it's, it's what, a mixture of Coke and heroin. And heroin. Or I guess yep. it's a mixture of Coke and whatever other drug you want to mix with yeah. it, really. Yeah, Coke and heroin. And yeah, like you said, kill John Belushi, River Phoenix, and Philip Seymour Hoffman. And, yeah, and I didn't know. Yeah, Chris Farley. Floyd. Farley was on there too. I knew the Farley would had it, but and I so I went down the rabbit hole of speedballs and whatever. <laughs> yeah, and, you gonna try one this week? Well, <laughs> it's it's funny because the website it was like Healthline or something. The website where I got all this information from, and they're like, "Look, we don't recommend that anyone ever do this, but if you do, here's all the facts you need." And you better have Narcan on hand. And you, be- so like, I, I mean, I respect that. Like giving people like the information, like, hey, if you're gonna choose to do this, here's what you need to know. Yeah. And I could pass this information along. But basically, like we all know, cocaine is a stimulant and heroin is a depressant. Mm-hmm. So taking the two together has a push pull effect. Heroin cuts down the cocaine induced agitation and jitters while the cocaine keeps you from nodding off. So this balancing act is said to give like a very pleasurable high and an easier come down. But the false sense of relative sobriety can lead to frequent redosing and then eventual overdosing, which I think is what happened is like, well, I'm not feeling anything. You know, I need to do more. And when in fact, it's like these two drugs are just fighting each other. Yeah. It's opposite effects in another big part of it, especially in more recent years is that Coke and heroin are not always pure. They sometimes contain fentanyl because fentanyl is a hundred times more potent than morphine. Like I, I would assume that if any of us did fentanyl one time, it could probably kill us. Yeah. We have no tolerance built up or anything like that. You know, maybe someone with decade worth of tolerance built up to that could maybe survive fentanyl but so i guess the reason they put fentanyl in in drugs is because you could take the tiniest little bit and just for as a cost effective way to like you know make the drug more potent and want people to buy it from you basically to to save it reduce costs from the dealer's side speedballs have a high risk for respiratory failure and like i said if you if you're listening to this and you <laughs> and none of this turns you off the speedballs, you better have some Narcan handy. That was Gibby's that was Gibby's deal. Did you ever see the documentary The Devil and Daniel Johnston? Yep. Gibby uh, yeah. may have been directly involved with Daniel Johnston's big psychotic break because he kept giving him like acid and shrooms and stuff when wow. like Daniel Johnston was already a very unstable person. And apparently it was at a butthole surfer show where he had like the really bad trip where he became convinced that there was like demons all over and that it was like his job to like stamp out evil in the world. Wow. That is crazy. I feel like it's selfish of me as a lover of music and I I don't wish it upon anyone, but why is so much of my favorite music made by people tortured? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Made by tortured artists, whether it's addiction or mental, you know, mental problems or whatever. Like, I I guess for me, a lot of times it's that, you know, it's 
real. It's not somebody faking it. You know, they're going through. I love Daniel Johnston. Like you hear the actual pain or or whatever that it doesn't feel put on at all. I mean, I will to the end of time uh, defend. I, I love Wesley Willis. And, you know, I remember listening to it when I first heard it as a teenager or whatever and laughing. Of course, you're sure. going to laugh. But then as you get older, you realize, oh, this was a schizophrenic person who was able to create art and put it out in the world and people, he brought joy to people and there was nothing fake about this at all. You know, this is, this was so real that I look at it in a completely different way than when I'm listening to Batman kick my ass or something like (laughs) back then rock over London, rock on Chicago, you know, the stuff that made me laugh. Now I'm like, wow, that's, that was like amazing. Cause I always, when I think about music, a lot of times, I, I hate to say this uh, about myself or about anybody that creates music, but you have to have a little bit of an ego or something to think that like, I'm going to create something that's good enough that people should buy it and listen to it and give me money and come see <laughs> and come see me do this thing. You have to, at a certain level, have this kind of arrogance about what you create. But I mean, part of it too is like you love doing it, you enjoy it and it brings you joy. But to think that you're going to become famous doing it, you have to believe that like you're, you're really offering people something. So like the exception to that rule is like a homeless person on the corner playing guitar and singing songs from the heart. That is the only real pure music or something. So when you talk about Daniel Johnston or Wesley Willis or somebody that 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 to me just seems so much more real. <laughs> anyway, when it comes to uh, butthole surfers, I do hear a band that doesn't give a fuck about what people think. And if people are going to come to the shows and enjoy it, it's real. So I do understand why. It's antagonistic almost yeah. to, an, to an extent. Yes, it is. Challenging. Like you're going to like us. Well, you're going to deal with, you're going to deal with this. And that's, I keep bringing up Ween. I don't know why I put these bands in the same. I think it makes sense. Category, but yeah, Ween did that. Ween has tracks on albums. I think about this song "Morning Glory" on the poor Gua- on the Pure Guava album. That's just like the most unlistenable track ever. Yet I love it. Yet me and my friends love it because it's you put that on. <laughs> Our joke was always to put "Morning Glory" on at a party, and it just kills the mood. Like that, you could not party to this. This is noise, and and it's it's the antithesis to pop music and to overproduction and whatever. Like the and. Butthole Surfers has that thing going on. And I think that maybe if I had have had had these albums at the time that I could look at it in a different perspective, it's hard to get into now. Later, yeah. I'm just curious, have either of you in, in your respective bands ever covered a song by the Butthole Surfers? I'm assuming more likely on this side of the table than this no, side of the table. No, but that isn't a bad idea because actually Dan's a huge fan of Butthole Surfers, like way yeah. more than me. Because I... I, every once in a while I would form like this nineties cover band for charity shows. And the one time we were like, let's just do pepper by butthole surfers. And it was the most fun I have ever had in four minutes. Cause it wow. was just like, you didn't have to care about how yeah. it sounded. So like I bought a megaphone. I was like screaming into the megaphone in front of the microphone. So it was extra loud and obnoxious. We just had random drum sets around. So like when there was parts where I wasn't talking, I was just hitting cymbals and like, just going wild. And I was like, man, I, the other one that used to always make me think of that was their cover, uh, their black Sabbath cover of sweet loaf, where it's just like, this is literally just playing the same riff for six minutes and just screaming and making noises. 
and I bet it's the most fun to do oh, on yeah. stage. There's catharsis. <laughs> well, that actually, I was going to say when Chris was talking about like having to have that sort of, I think there's, there's a sort of ego or I don't know how to explain. Like, it might not be the right word. Yeah. Ego. Like there's, I understand where you're, what, what you have to think on a certain level. Somebody wants to hear. Yeah, what why would you be doing it if no one wanted to hear and it? Then, yeah. But, but I think what could be from that, and I know like this is may, maybe me personally and like what we do in Zayo kind of is like, there's a need to release whatever this is. Right. And it's not, and I think you're probably the same, like all of us like to do this. Like, it's not that I th- think I'm good enough for you to listen to me, but it's like, unfortunately I'm going to need you to listen to this because like, because <laughs> if I don't get this out of me that, because like all of us, like, you know, there's people have varying levels of darkness in them. I think a lot of artists that I enjoy too have a lot of darkness in them. And I think that that release of music that release of whatever that's in you, which is sort of great about the butthole surface, that animalistic release of just noise. Sometimes a song won't really do it. Sometimes just making your guitar screech to fucking crazily and screaming into a megaphone is how you release whatever that is in you. And I'm guessing that maybe that's like kind of the, the allure of a band like butthole surfers. And I think for Dan too, when I talked, cause I actually talked to Dan about this during when I found out we were going to do this. Cause you know, what is it about them that, that really t- like brought you to them? And he was like, just, yeah, there's just that like weird aggressive release that you're forcing people to have to witness. Yeah. But you at least get it out of you. You tap into almost like a Neanderthal, yeah. like beating on rocks sort of release. And I I get that. Yeah. I think that there's something, maybe it's programmed into my head from hearing pop radio since as far back as I can remember that where I need, I need the melody still. I need the combination. And I think that maybe a lot of times for me personally, it takes when it comes to metal i still need the melodic and that's why i can't get into like like a grind corp yeah. <laughs> or something you know like or i know that that's so niche but like i still need and and in a lot of metal there is a lot of times it's within the guitar work yeah you know yeah, yeah. and and i know that you you as a guitarist in zeo you there's still there's still the melt there's the yeah. melody still there you know and the the musicality of it but i i get the the release part yeah. Of it, you know? I, yeah i also think that there's certain genres that just by nature are more designed for a live atmosphere like like the case in point when i was going to to like the christian music festival festivals when i was going to the purple doors i didn't really own a ton of zayao or living sacrifice or norma jean records but i was going to watch those sets because like there was going to be an energy and it was going to be captivating for 45 straight minutes like you were going to see some shit in that scene the only thing that's like comparable to like what butthole servers was doing was something like Danielson family yeah. where it's like, what is this? This is, is just there to piss off half the audience. But then there's the other people are like, this is the most brilliant thing I've ever seen. It's just people banging xylophones and singing in falsetto for seven minutes. No, like, you're right. And I think too, like for us, I mean, I, you know, my music tastes are all over the board and I kind of fall in that thing where like, I do like some melody a lot of the time. And I can, I always wonder like, what is it that drives me or what is it that like kind of points me in this metal direction? And I think that's what it is. It's the live performance of it because mm-hmm. any other music that you play, 
I don't feel like there's a release like that kind of music. I also think that metal is one of the few genres where you don't necessarily need to know the songs when you're seeing it live. Yes. Like I love punchline live, but part of the enhancement is that I know the songs and, and I can, can sing, sing along yep. and I can like enjoy it. I ain't singing along with the Zay house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe the new one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure plenty of people are too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. I mean, there's gang vocals you're for right. a reason. You're right, dude. I texted you this, but congratulations, man! Thank you, sir. Your new album, you. number forty-four. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. That you know, you know what? That's higher than that's higher than young black teenagers ever got on the charts. <laughs> you had an album that is higher in the charts than someone we did an episode about. So Crazy. that's pretty cool, man. Congratulations! Just just a, a little side note on that. That's uh, I'm I'm very impressed. And and dude, on top of that, like. You, I mean, admittedly, you play a very niche oh, yeah. style of music. It's not like you're playing something that you, so to be on the charts with Taylor Swift and it's and, insane. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. On top of that, we own the label. Yeah. So we had no, there's no support. Like we don't yeah. have anybody paying. I mean, we personally did it, but we don't have like a machine behind the band that does anything. It's inspiring. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living. And every week, I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com, and I'll see you there. So... Man, inspiring do I, it yourself that's dude, the key i i barely <laughs> believe in labels or anything yeah, it's that, all it's done it doesn't matter if you're on a label anymore it really doesn't and honestly i think there's so many things people look at being in a band that is so wrong-headed so like obviously everybody looks at their social media numbers right well the one key to the social media number nobody pays attention to is the actual engagement of the social media right so like sure some dude can have a hundred thousand followers but they're getting followed by like 15,000 finding out about the insights yes. button on Instagram was yeah. like a game changer. Cause that's such a better, I can sit there and complain about, you know, Oh, this account isn't getting more followers, sure. but if my engagement's up 300% yes. in one week, because like something that we posted did really well, then it's, you're doing the right thing. Exactly. Well, that's like with us, you know, our number, our social media, we came to it kind of late because we stopped and then came back or whatever. But so our social media numbers themselves might not look super impressive, but every single follower on our Instagram or any of that stuff are completely engaged at all times. I feel pretty good about that. And, you know, people usually say if you have a thousand people that are like there to pay attention to follow you and pay for stuff, you can keep your band going. Right. So we're over that. So we're <laughs> cater and, and nurture your fan base and tying that back into butthole surfers. 
sounds like bundle servers were at least popular enough to be like on 120 minutes. And I think they, you know, to be able to tour and to have a fan base and, and things like that. And then I think that maybe what this song kind of seems like it was the end of the band because you had this modern rock hit and I think you lost sight of, of what it was all about. You know, maybe, maybe that was a misstep. I don't know though. It, it seems to me crazy to complain about a hit. Yeah. A hit. I can see how that would totally change your whole idea. Cause like what you were saying about uh, the committee or whatever. So you got like, they put records out and they just do whatever they want. And that's kind of what makes the band, the band. Cause it's like, of course you're not going to give a shit about, well, we need a verse and a chorus here. Like they can just not care. And then once you get to that machine and then probably self-inflicted they had a lifestyle then financially that they wanted to maintain even though people pretend like they don't care about that but gibby haynes probably speedball addiction right well you need money for speedball addictions so you get a hit you make all this money sure you don't want to be that type of band anymore but how do you maintain your life without that kind of money that's a really interesting point i didn't think about is yeah all of a sudden you have some money, especially what, what year is this again? It was 90, 95, 96. Okay. So having hit on the radio at that time, Oh yeah, that's major money. Cause people are buying your album in stores. Yeah. You have an influx of money. And if you have even a hint of a addiction problem, now you have total access. So that could, I mean, I guess the guy's lucky he's alive. If that's what he was yeah. into, Yeah, that totally makes sense. Why the, band would end now you have money to just i'm gonna focus on my drug habit <laughs> yeah they recently talked about doing their first album in 16 years like a couple years ago they were like let's let's try because they stopped everything like they just stopped playing i read a quote from from the guitarist paul leary where he was like look the one hour that we're on stage is great the other 24 hours of touring and being yeah. in a van is miserable and i Which don't want to keep true. doing it no and that, i mean honestly i think all bands feel that way i think that's why a lot of bands burn out and then you have to be realistic and do it in a way that doesn't do that to you. I mean, I find it hard to believe you guys still tour in a van, right? Or Hell yeah. have you ever been on a bus? Yes. I feel like if you're at the point where you can afford to be on a bus, it's not too bad. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's like, <laughs> I'm not saying it all sucks, but no, no but, but being away from home and being in a van and not getting enough sleep and climbing yes. into a hotel room or somebody's house or whatever that, that gets old. Sure. But I think if you're to the point where, you're on a bus. Other people are setting up your stuff. Uh, you can get to a town and take a walk around, go have lunch somewhere. Yeah. You're making some money. I can't imagine complaining about that. I can't either. And honestly, too, like even for the way, like, cause we've had a bus on two or three tours. We went to Europe once and had a bus, which I would never do Europe without a bus again after seeing how that worked there. Yeah. Like the comfort level, being able to just stand up, think of like, cause you in the van, you can't stand up. Right. So there's so many things about that, that like I would yearn for, but there's also things like we do now, like with being in a van, I remember doing the shows where you had to stay on people's houses and all that kind of stuff. And the fact that we can be in a van and then have a pretty comfortable like hotel experience yeah, is like, I don't even complain about that. Like yeah, I'm super right. excited about like, Oh, I, we get a good, we ha I have a bed. I have my own bed. I get a, you know, we have a hotel room. Uh, we're able to eat, make a little bit of money. Like that's 
to me were I'm cool with. So I don't get it. Yeah. If I hear someone complain about like being on the road, but you're in a bus and you're playing to a thousand people a night and you're making money and selling a bunch of merch and you're eating well, like, I don't know. I can't see how anyone can It's hard to sympathize. I have a feeling with butthole surfers, and this is just an assumption, but we know the story of like Kurt Cobain like didn't want to show off the money that he had because of like the image. Like I think there was like the story that like Courtney Love bought a really brand new car and he's like, you've got to, yeah. you've got to return that. <laughs> like I feel like regardless on what the money that they had, it, it feels like to me as much as butthole surfers don't give a fuck. I definitely don't think they would have ever wanted it to be perceived as quote unquote sellouts in mm-hmm. 1995. So I think they actively would have said no to buses. They would have said no to the hotels. Like I think they would have been like, no, we have to be in a van. We have to like, I wonder about rough, that rough too. It. Cause like another kind of sidestep from butthole surfers, like I'm a big Melvins fan and Gibby Haynes had some stuff to do with the Melvins. And I remember I love Nirvana. And I remember hearing about all that, how Kurt Cobain was like anti fame and anti, and then, but was he? He wasn't. Buzzo talked about how the dude was full of shit and like all yeah, he talked right. about was wanting to be famous. And like when they, when he was, when Kurt Cobain was loading Melvin's shit, like the guy was just like had stars in his eyes. Yeah. So like I wonder if there is that like, now I think Gibby Haynes probably has some tortured stuff about him. Yeah. And I think I would be more apt to believe that Butthole Surfers lived that, that world of like, I want to, you want to be more underground DIY and not, but. I don't know. Like, and then, so that's another question I have. So if, if he's like that, why are you doing expensive fucking drugs? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, dude, that's the, that's the wild card in all this conversation. We could be talking about like, well, does a person really want to be famous or not? Like, but once you throw drugs in the mix, like that just all bets are off, man, because nothing, there could be, Nothing could make sense there. Your, your brain is not the same at that point. That's true. Yeah. So we joked around about this last night when we were talking about recording this episode, but like the idea that this song doesn't match anything about the butthole surfers, you know, we brought up like, I know this album cover very well because there was about 40 of them in the used bin at every CD store that I've ever been to. Like, right. This was like that album that was tricking people in to buying it yeah and then being like what the fuck is going on i do want to believe that they it's not like they sat down and made a commercial album yeah they made a very uncommercial album that somehow had a song that like captured caught on matt and i this morning i was like okay i'm gonna put on butthole surfers before scott gets here we're just gonna listen to butthole surfers for a while and you know pepper played first it was like it was Butthole Surfer's Essentials playlist I put on. It was like uh, it was just a mix someone made. So Pepper played first. Then that, the other song I knew by then. Yeah, the, who was in my room last. Or that, that song. I know that song. Song's cool. The third song that came on, I'm not kidding, sounded like Smash Mouth. And that's when you. That's when Matt went, I want to go see what this song is. And it was the last album that they did by committee with the A&R team. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> it was not good. And it was like, this is them. It was strange. And Matt, you told me a story about Kid Rock writing a song. Kid Rock wrote a song for that album. And they had went on the record as like, this song is really bad. But like they felt like it was basically like he asked to use a sample of theirs. Okay. And they agreed to it for no charge. And as a thank you, he wrote a chorus for them for their next album. And they felt obligated to, to use, use it. it. Holy. But like the song, it was their third 
biggest hit, quote unquote. Um, I think it was called like the smell of success or something like that. Okay. But the chorus is literally just like the chorus is like, I want to get the money to get the girls because I love that sweet smell of success. And it's like that couldn't have been a lease butthole yeah, surfers that's chorus so like on the planet. Oh my. Uh, yeah. But then, like the verses, it's like there were girls hanging out with squirrels, and the squirrels kept smoking crack. Is like one, of, so it's like there there's the butthole yeah. surface part. Right. Of it. <laughs> yeah, but but anyway, yeah, this this band's hard to figure out. I and they they seem like something that I would have liked, especially at the time. I think it after the fact, it's hard to get into this. It's dude, it's like anything else. It's like punk rock. Yeah, it's hard for me as a person when you're older to like get into the misfits now get into black flag now like if you weren't there at the time it's very hard like i get the appeal and i get like it's the same kind of thing of what we're talking about the different style of music but the aggression and the whatever but to if you weren't a fan at the time to try to get into it now it's hard and i kind of feel like butthole surfers are in that category i kind of see that and Honestly, too, it's weird. Like you were talking about this earlier with that aggression and like seeing it live, right? A band like the Misfits, they, I mean, they kind of had like a doo-woppy thing to them. Yeah. So I can they kind of, melody. They yeah, had, they I had. can get that on record, even though like the recordings were always pretty bad and whatever, but Black Flag, it's hard to listen to yeah. at home. But, but then you watch the videos of them, them and yeah, yes. it's like, okay, this is actually this is why. crazy. Yep. Yeah. This is why people love them because- you go and you see that aggression. You see that just release. Well, the summer that this hit, it peaked on the Modern Rock charts on July 6th. It was a very uh, one-hit wonder heavy summer because it took it unseated Dishwalla Counting Blue Cars as the number one song. Wow. And then it sat at number one for three weeks before it was replaced by the Primitive Radio Gods. So it was just one-hit wonders were dominating Modern Rock that, that summer. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I was thinking about this just now because you brought up Dishwalla. Was... The Not A Surf popular song a hit? It was this same summer. (laughs) Okay. Spoken word. It was the spoken word. Perfect example. I hate that song and I fucking love. Wow. The lead singer was like, which I think is funny. He's like, I can't win with that song because if I don't play it, there's going to be people in the audience that are pissed off that we didn't play it. If I do play it, our audience is pissed off because it's their least favorite song in our discography. So So what do you do? Yeah, not a surf. Oh my God, that Let Go record. I listened to that Let Let Go record. Inside of Love was like on every TV show for like a year. It was great. That record's so good. Uh, On the non-one hit wonder front, the other, some other songs that were on the chart, maybe to set the mood of what time this was, was uh, Stone Temple Pilots tripping on a paper heart. And garbage is stupid girl. Mm. And at the time, the number one song in the world was "The Crossroads" by Bone Thugs and Harmony. Nice. Wow! <laughs> hey, I gotta give Bone was cool. Yeah, I'll deal with Bone Thugs. Bone, and Harmony. I yeah. mean the, the the melodies of the. I mean, could we do a Bone? Do Bone count? No, Bone had a couple. No, they hits. had like first of the month was pretty oh, big. Oh yeah. One last thing I want to say about this, and this kind of goes to that point of you asking about not a surf, is a lot of times. These hit songs, especially by bands in like the alternative world, mm-hmm. are the songs that are just so strange. Like no, the songs that are like middle of the road or whatever, like just like, oh, that's a great chorus. That's a whatever. Those aren't necessarily the songs that hit. Sometimes it takes like very weird, strange things that I think catch people's attention. It's like they're novelty songs by non-novelty bands. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like right. it's that it's so out there. That it, I mean, one of the artists on the long list is like whoever did that. What does the fox say song? Like, because oh, that was yeah. like a chart topper yeah. at one point. And it's like that only worked. Like 
that dude's never going to have another hit. We did Psy. Like, Psy was like a cultural phenomenon that was never going to do anything else in America. Like, I think that there's something where it's just so outside of what any person could think a song could sound like that it just catches fire for a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, especially in, you're talking about 90s alternative scene where it was like, think about, if you think about like the Lollapalooza lineup, you had so many different styles and there was such, it was it was hard to even like what does you know you have Rage Against the Machine but then you have Pavement and then you have Smashing Pumpkins or whatever like so many different like sounds but somehow it was all considered the same world. But, but we also like it's so weird because it it's almost like Kurt Cobain was this insane linchpin that like both the existence of Nirvana destroyed like just exploded a bunch of bands' careers into smithereens to never be seen again. But also like the sheer idea of him, like wearing a butthole surfer shirt or a Daniel Johnson shirt or a meat puppet shirt would get these bands that on no other planet would they be given a major record label deal. were suddenly like a hot commodity for a couple years. That's what Melvin's talked about. That's what King Buzzer talked about how everybody, when Nirvana broke, they had that little sidestep of Nirvana. People knew of the Melvin's because of, of Kurt Cobain and they had Columbia Records signed them. And I mean, that record kicks ass, but like Houdini is a great record, but it's still like, it's weird to me that how that dude opened up like Billboard or like all that mainstream success to all these bands that never thought that was possible. Yeah, yeah. everything from like garage sounding rock, you know, the, the grunge, the bands that, yeah, never in a million years during the, hair metal 80s they overproduced everything the Def Leppard album where they recorded one string at a time yeah like the stuff like that where it was just over the top like to that I think it yeah it just the bubble the bubble burst when Nirvana came along and you could say oh here's a three-piece rock band screaming into the mic Mm -hmm. that like theoretically most of most of Nevermind like he's been on the record that he didn't write that many lyrics before recording. Like smells like teen spirit is just like what word fits the melody of this chorus. I don't know. Mosquito libido. Let's go with it. Yeah, right. Like, so weird. It, it, it makes sense that it had to, it had to kind of go back to that, you know? And then I'm sure we're going to build to that again, especially, I mean, it may have already happened a couple of times, but I think about like my world of music, man, I've talked about this on the podcast a lot of times too, but you know, there, there was just an article in the paper here because our, the band, Scott and I played together called pack. We're not a pop punk band. We're definitely not. But in this article, uh, we did a Bob Dylan cover cause it's his, his birthday and uh, for a local radio station. And they called us a pop punk super group. And I was like, Oh no, I've, <laughs> I've, I've cursed my band by being the only guy who's thrown into I was that. Say, well, none of the other people in that band play in a band no, that would no. ever on any planet be. Julian theory maybe, but they, even they then were, they were like indie. I always emo, categorize sure, emo, emo indie rock for sure. Emo. And I'm, I'm sure they cringe at that. that <laughs> everybody. Too. I think everybody cringes at everything. Yeah. yeah. But I think, it stinks. No, even like the one that I can think of. Cause I like just missed grunge. You know what I mean? Like I was there for grunge, but I was like six when it popped. So like I just grew up with it. Did the grunge bands call themselves grunge? No, they hated uh, it too. Like, right. cause I, that, I'm 42. Yeah. So like that was kind of Soundgarden and all that world was, oh God, it just enveloped me. Yeah. None of them. I mean, Soundgarden was a rock band. They called themselves Actually, I think Kim Thale thought they said they were a metal band. Well, I was going to say, I feel like a lot of the grunge bands, like 
Nirvana is basically a noisy punk band. Yeah, like, that's it. Yep. Alice in Chains is a metal band. Like it's like band. they fall yeah. into those categories. But I think another version of that where stuff got so overproduced and then it went back to the basics was in like the mid 2000s with all the dub bands when you had like the hives, the strokes, the vines yeah. where it was just like noisy not overproduced, just like getting a studio, like the Strokes music video is them just playing the song live mistakes and all like that's so fucking awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, my, my point that I was going to make about like the world that I, that my band's evolved in is that, yeah, mid two thousands is a good example of when this kind of happened, maybe a little bit later than that, but pop punk music. I mean, I guess it was already kind of there with, but like green day, when you listen to dookie, like, that wasn't an overproduced. It was produced well, yeah. but those guys are rippers. Yeah. They're all awesome. The songs are great and they're done. It's not like there's all these overdub. There that's a three-piece yeah. punk rock band and that's great and it sounds great that the sounds that they got out of that album are great, but that skip ahead 10-15 years and what's considered pop punk is the most overproduced to the point of like the 80s hair metal bands. Like where it's so like and that's I think that's what makes me cringe about it. Well, that's, you know? I think, too, with the emo tag. Or, right. like, even, like, we... Zayo gets called a metalcore band all the time. I don't know what that is. What's the core part? I don't know. <laughs> but w- w- what we did, I guess, like, because we kind of, like, came from, like, a hardcore... Hardcore, swer- yeah. Whatever, but that's not what people think metalcore is. Metalcore to people now is overproduced with weird singing parts and, like, mm-hmm. all this stuff. So, like... I totally agree with you. Green Day, I know metal dudes that are still wishing they had Billy Joe's tone from that record. Yeah, right. Like his tone is so heavy and so just clear and thick and great. But those records, it's not overproduced and they don't have like a weird whiny sing. It's just like, it's like a punk band that has a little better songwriting. I don't know. Right. The, the fact that like that album was so controversial to that like Gilman Street thing. It's yeah. like, it's so obnoxious. Beyond the, if they weren't on a major label, that an insomnia wouldn't sound any different than what they would have recorded sure. oh. at like Lookout or somewhere else. They yeah. just needed the right producer and that was it. Yeah, they had it. They had, yeah, they had a good producer and they were probably using great gear and stuff at a nice studio at that time but yeah that would have been this that was the natural progression from kerplunk the album yeah Yeah. it's not like they just like put out a hip-hop record next like that would be actually selling out it wasn't 50 overdubs and all you know all yeah so that happens in in all styles of music i I think but got off the uh path of butthole surfers here a little bit but it it makes you know they they went kind of went from zero to 60 from a avant-garde noise artsy uh whatever punk kind of punk band yeah, i would i guess to, yeah to what matt and i thought sounded like fucking smash mouth like <laughs> uh, by that last album or whatever and and I, if this song was the in-between i still think this song's interesting enough it sticks out not like a huge fan of this song or something but i don't hate it either but to close this out we need to decide butthole surfers pepper one hit th- did it bring the one hit thunder or was this a one hit blunder? I I say blunder, but yeah. yeah, I'm so stuck in the middle because like I like everything about them in theory, and I do like this song, but I'd be hard pressed to ever put on a butthole surfers album and just casually listen to it. So I guess I'm gonna have to lean into into blunder. But there are some songs that will be on the one hit thunder deep cuts playlist on Spotify that are worth checking out. Yes. Okay, well, I I think that Gibby himself would say this was a blunder. I think yeah. he literally said something to that because it seems to have 
ended the band for the most part is they had this hit. And like you said, Matt, always a million copies of this at the used, like everybody probably bought it was like, Oh, I like that song. Can't wait to hear it. Listen to the rest of it. And we're like, Nope. <laughs> it was it was this one. You mentioned Dead Eye Dick. And yeah. the only other one that I remember dominating that UCD section was the band The Flies uh-huh. that did that Got You Where I Want You. Oh, album. I right. remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but uh yeah, I guess man, we're going we're going to three way blunder. It's on... been a long time since we've had a three way blunder yeah. on the show. Yeah, wow. that's that's and I feel like we've given worse songs. A thunder pass. You gave a pass to Crazy Town. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I gave a pass to Rude by Magic. I get. Wow. I mean, I, in this time, it's more or less that this song killed the band. Well, that I, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Because to me, the blunder really lies in that they they put this song out, probably didn't care about it. It turned them into something that then wasn't Butthole Surfers. Mm-hmm. So the blunder there is that for some reason they needed to keep up that charade of what this song represented. But if you go back, like I said, independent warm saloon, I still listen to that record. I really love that record. There's some really kick-ass good, heavy songs, whatever, like, but you get past that, you get to this record and it just, it, it completely changes what butthole surfers was intended to be. And I I mean, to me, that's the biggest blunder of the band, but I do have to give them credit in, in one respect and bring the thunder because they got the word butthole. Yes. <laughs> just on the radio and in everybody's mouths in the mid nineties. And it really, really released the stigma behind the word butthole. So we'll give them credit for that. I like it. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Fafalios of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah, and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing Zayo's new song, Croatoan, off their album, Crimson Corridor. If you have any interest in podcasting, visit WeKnowPodcasting.com for how Matt and Chris can help make your show sound as professional as possible. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at OneHitThunderPodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. And tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hello out there! Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. 
Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!